Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual and spirited community dedicated to the free and responsible search for truth and meaning, dedicated to right relationship. We are meeting apart right now and I hope feeling together. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there's a spark of the divine in everyone. And one of the ways that we greet the divine on a Sunday morning is by greeting one another. You have comments, I hope, in the format that you're watching this on. And if you will, greet one another in the comments at this time. I invite you now to say the chalice lighting words with me if you were moved to do so. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. Our call to worship comes from Clarissa Pinkola Estes, a Latina Jungian analyst who is known for her storytelling, work with injured soldiers and children, and for her best-selling book, Women Who Run With the Wolves. She writes, Ours is not the task of fixing the entire world at once, but of stretching out to mend the part of the world that is within our reach. This congregation has a mission statement that guides our decisions as we move into the future. We wrote it on the wall here in the sanctuary, and we say it together every Sunday. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. Each Sunday, after we say our mission together, we have a moment for beloved community where we enlighten ourselves about something we may not have known about, history or current situations. It's good to retrieve the knowledge that has been kept from us. Today, I want to say that everyone knows Lewis and Clark, but did you know that there was a black man who was also part of the expedition? His name was York. He was owned by William Clark from boyhood. And he participated as a full member of the expedition and was present when the expedition reached the Pacific Ocean. York was known for his skill in scouting, hunting, field medicine, and manual labor in extreme weather conditions. Lewis had noted in his journal how York had saved him from certain death by a grizzly bear. The native nations treated York with respect, and he played a key role in diplomatic relations. Lewis and Clark received accolades and publicity after the expedition, but York received none. He asked Clark if he could please be reunited with his wife, who was enslaved in Louisville. And he even offered to work in Louisville and send Clark all his earnings, but Clark still refused and sold York to a brutal master in 1811, 
where he remained enslaved, at least until 1816. Information has been published on York after that year. Today we honor York, a man history books until recently has forgotten. Good morning. Today I'm in this beautiful garden at Krause Springs in Spicewood. Today we're talking about anger and hope, and I find that finding beauty helps me be more hopeful, so I wanted to share this beautiful garden filled with fountains and flowers and wind chimes with you. How the Crayons Saved the Rainbow, written by Monica Sweeney, illustrated by Feronia Parker-Thomas. The sun and the clouds were best friends. They worked together to keep the earth warm and gardens growing. But of all the things they did together, their very favorite was making rainbows so that the whole world was colorful and happy. Then one day, the sun and the clouds had a big fight. The clouds were blocking the sun, and the sun couldn't shine through to the earth. The sun went sizzle, sizzle, sizzle at the clouds, and the clouds went clap, bang, boom, back. They stopped being friends and were never in the sky together again. When the sun, with the sun and clouds far apart, it was scorching hot on some days and damp and cold on others. And worst of all, there were no more rainbows. Without rainbows, the flowers, streams, and even cities started to lose their color. Soon, the earth was black and white. But in one little town, in one little school, in one little desk, there was one little forgotten box of crayons. And the crayons still had their colors. The desk rattled, shook, clambered, and clanked. All of a sudden, it toppled over, and the box of crayons bumbled out. Ah, I'm naked! Yippee! Get off me! I'm out of here! Woe is me! Hey, where are all the colors? The crayons started to search for the colors. They raided marker bins and tore through art projects, but everything as far as they could see was only black and white. Who made all the colors go away? This is so sad. This is terrible. If oranges aren't orange, do I even exist? What about daffodils and butter? The crayons looked out the window. The sun was all the way to one side of the sky looking angry, and the clouds were all the way to the other looking gloomy. I miss all the colors. We can't even draw rainbows together now. Wait, that's it. We need to save the rainbows. So the crayons started drawing little rainbows all over town. But nothing happened. The sun and the clouds didn't seem to notice. We have to make our rainbows bigger, Violet said. Working together, the crayons drew and scribbled. They made the biggest, brightest, most colorful rainbow the world had ever seen. Ever so slowly, the sun perked up, and the clouds floated in for a closer look. The sun and the clouds both peered down, admiring the giant rainbow that the crayons had drawn. What bright colors! said the sun. It's incredible, said the clouds. They looked at each other with great big smiles. The sun said to the clouds, 
Remember when we used to be together all the time and make rainbows? The clouds nodded. I'm sorry for going clap, bang, boom at you. I'm sorry for going sizzle, sizzle, sizzle at you, said the sun. It's better being friends, said the sun, and the clouds agreed. They hugged. The sun shined brightly and the clouds misted happy rain. Ever so slowly, rainbows reappeared near and far, turning the world colorful once again. Clarissa Pincola Estes is also known for her spoken word performances, especially the one at Carnegie Hall with Toni Morrison and Maya Angelou. She received the Las Primeras Award, the first of her kind, from the Mexican-American Women's Foundation. And she wrote, All emotion, even rage, carries knowledge, insight, what some call enlightenment. Our rage can, for a time, become our teacher, a thing not to be rid of so fast. The cycle of rage is like any other cycle. It rises, it falls, it dies, and is released as new energy. Allowing oneself to be taught by one's rage, thereby transforming it, disperses it. So rather than trying to behave and not feel our rage, or rather than using it to burn down every living thing in a hundred mile radius, it is better to first ask rage to take a seat with us, have some tea, talk a while, so we can find out what summoned this visitor. This is the part of the service where, as you are able, you find a few moments to breathe in a meditative way, in a prayerful way. We find that in the silence, we can receive clarity, guidance, and peace of mind. Let us breathe together. As we continue in a meditative spirit, you are welcome to light candles in your home, candles of joy or of sorrow, hope, remembrance, or determination.
come, whoever you are. Wanderer, worshiper, lover of leaving. Ours is no caravan of despair. Come yet again, come. Ours is no caravan of despair. I love that. Even if you are a lover of leaving, though, during times like these, there's really no place to go to get away from what's happening. The things that trap us are everywhere. Two related questions raised uh, by church members for the question box sermon I thought deserved a little more time. And so today I'm talking about what do we do with our anger and how do we hold on to our hope? Overwhelming anger. Feelings of helplessness and hopelessness have everything to do with being engulfed by despair. So many of us are feeling this way. Michelle Obama just came out in her latest podcast as having a low-grade depression. Situational because of what's happening. It's connected with this corona coaster that we're on when we are becoming as anti-racist as we know how to be and when we are trying to keep ourselves and our beloveds and our neighbors safe and when we are in grief about all the illness and death and when we are worried about our beloveds who are in the medical professions and teachers and folks who have to go to work and we are just also done with hearing about more and more examples of police brutality that seems to be completely running wild, or at least it's now being brought into the mainstream. Our anger is situational as well. Oh, and the political corruption. Don't let me forget about that. Where do we go to escape? Anger is a signal that we need to make changes. It's a signal that our boundaries have been violated, that things are happening that are hurting us and hurting those we love. Right now, though, the common feeling, I think, is that the opportunity to vote can't come too soon or too often. And... It's hard to wait because we have this experience that feels like being trapped in a speeding car that's being driven by a reckless drunk. And add to that layer of feeling of panic and helplessness, the feeling that comes when a couple of the other people in the car are uh, contemptuous of our responses, contemptuous of our panic, and they say, oh, everything's all right. You're just being overreactive. You're just being hysterical. How are you even supposed to respond when you're in that situation? When 
you know there needs to be a change, but the change can't come fast enough. And the people of color in our community remind the people who identify as white all the time that it has always been like this for them. Those of us who identify as white, I think, can learn from these, our more experienced friends, neighbors, and beloveds. I want to tell you about the Black Lives Matter principles because I've been studying these. I feel like they are so sane and such a wonderful vision of how the world can be while we are in a struggle. How do we handle our anger? How do we hold on to our hope? The Black Lives Matter principles are instructive in this way. They are principles that are collectively arrived at. Um, you can see them on your screen, but I just want to talk about, uh, first of all, my position in all this, which is that I am trying to learn and trying to communicate what I'm learning and thinking about, but I'm inextricably linked with my whiteness. And I was raised in a culture of whiteness, and I was raised in a culture that taught me that struggle was bad, and that if you're struggling, it means that you're doing something wrong. And so what I love is that these principles talk about uh, a way of seeing the struggle we're in as ancient and ongoing, and as global, and as connecting us with ancestors, and presenting us with a way to work vigorously, but not alone. My understanding is limited, as I say, because I'm a white woman raised in a white world trying to make up for all the knowledge that I was denied by that situation. These principles talk about how to nurture an intergenerational and family-friendly community in the struggle where each person is seen and heard and where women and queer and trans folks are in leadership and where mothers don't have to do double shifts where they do political work with part of their lives and then go mother in private. That this is a bad construct. It's, it's an unhealthy construct and we need to help one another with all of the aspects of our lives. One of the things it says is we intentionally build and nurture a beloved community that is bonded together through a beautiful struggle that is restorative, not depleting. Oh, mama, please, somebody teach me how to do that. A beautiful struggle that is restorative and not depleting. How do we grasp that? Can those of us raised to see struggle as bad find the beauty in it? Can we channel the fire of our anger into, yes, times of vigorous work to make things better together and into donations to organizations that are already doing the work and also into fierce connections with one another based on 
empathy and curiosity about one another's story and one another's context? Can we nurture community in the midst of struggle in the ways that we know work for us to nurture community, i.e. hanging out together, quantity time as well as quality time, playing music for each other, enjoying one another's uh, recipes and Zoom dance parties and however works for you to build community during this weird time. We need to nurture a community that can encompass us as we strive to, as we play to, as we live into finding the struggle beautiful and restorative and not depleting. I'm so curious to learn more by reading these principles over and over again and by reading things that are written by Black Lives Matter uh, leaders. I I want to know how to do that. Ours is no caravan of despair. It's our hope that keeps us going. Hope is the belief that things will get better. Hope is the vision of how things could be. And sometimes we lose that vision. And sometimes we just have a failure of imagination about how things could look if they were different. And so we have to read Octavia Butler and we have to watch Star Trek and see their vision of a world and planets in which equity is more common. Um, we have to find the people who are people of vision and invention. We have to find people who are inventing ways to clean plastic out of the oceans. We have to find people who are inventing ways for kids who live far from electricity to use the sun to charge up their phones so that they can learn on the internet even though they're not living in a city. We need to learn from people who are reinventing the family, who are reinventing gender, people who are finding energy in different circumstances, energy in difficult circumstances. And we need to ask ourselves whether the, some of the difficulties we're feeling right now are difficulties because it's just a different situation from what we're used to or whether it really is difficult. If it's just different, maybe it can open our eyes wider. Maybe it can open our hearts more. Maybe it can open our lives. If it's just different, let's be learning from it. Ours is no caravan of despair. Oh, we have to learn how to use our anger as fuel. How to cook with it. Uh, how not to devolve into overwhelming rage that burns our house down. Maybe just pick two struggles, two issues, and focus on those. Because there are so many. So many things are wrong. But we can't fix all of them, and we certainly can't fix any of them by ourselves. And so perhaps we can find a community that is working on one of two things that we've chosen 
to focus on so we don't get overwhelmed and let other people pick up the other struggles. You're not the only one. And limit your news intake. This is hard for me because I just want to know all of the outrages that are going on. And I do, but I don't have to hear about them four different ways during a day of news. And also, I've found the word doom scrolling on Facebook and found the advice to limit your doom scrolling. Because, as I said before, there's so much on social media by which to be outraged, by which to be sent under. I want to say you have to fight for your hope. You have to fight for your hope. You have to look for your joy. Despair is a powerful force. And sometimes the powers that be seem to be trying to overwhelm us with despair. Just so we shrug our shoulders and say, oh, I don't know what's true. Oh, I don't know what to do. And then we stop struggling. And that works to their benefit, to the benefit of the powers that be, the, the heavy-footed, to use Audre Lorde's word. That's when those of us who are less used to struggle can sit ourselves down respectfully at the feet of those who are more experienced in the struggle. People who can teach others how to find joy and nourishment in the struggle and in one another. So to close, I would just like to say, channel your anger Fight for your hope and feed your joy. It will make us more effective as we struggle in this beautiful, restorative struggle on one one another's behalf. May it be so.
Let there now be an offering taken to sustain and to strengthen this place and its mission. If you would like to go to the donate button, please do and choose plate as the designation for your gift. If you would like to send a check to the church, please do that. There is someone here several times a week who is picking up mail and doing deposits. Nothing will get lost. Now please join me, if you wish, in saying our words for extinguishing our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Remember the way of the wind and breathe and blow. Remember the way of the fire and sparkle and glitter and glow. Remember the way of the water and ebb and flow. Remember the way of the earth and grow. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.